what you were facing the day before is not your reality today. And the next day, your high could be so absolutely high that you're like, yes, okay, we're back and we're doing this. Welcome to Startup Bill, the show where we discuss what it's like to build a tech startup and a startup ecosystem in a small city. I'm Mike Wolsfeld, our host is Dan Gold, and we're having conversations with tech leaders in our community about how they're working through the current global economic crisis and the larger implications on their sectors. Today we're talking with Melanie Morrison, founder and CEO of BetterCart, an app that helps save consumers the most money at the grocery store. Melanie has a very unique founder's story, so we talked with her about what drove her to start BetterCart and how she's encouraging others to take the leap. We also dove deep into her startup and how she's working with her team to try and make a big wave in the grocery industry, a notoriously competitive market. Welcome to Startup Bill. Startup Bill is brought to you by Innovation Place and Martin Charlton Communications. Let's start from the very beginning, Melanie. Um, I. I think that this is a really interesting story. Um, psychology professor at the U of S. You had the idea for Best Cart. They seem to be two very independent things, but maybe I'm wrong. What drove you from uh, being a professor to go? Hey, there's a there's a need there. There's a there's a problem that needs solving. What was that journey? Well, through my professional experience as a university professor, I'm a social psychologist. And so we're constantly looking at people's attitudes and behaviors and how they interact in social situations. So we observe a lot, uh, we document, um, and we're focused on change, essentially behavioral, attitudinal. And one of the, the areas that I focus in is on stereotyping, prejudice, and discrimination. So I have a sensitivity to a lot of different aspects of marginalization and how people, um, when uh, members of, of minority groups can be affected by, by those phenomena. And also through, so one, one aspect is obviously economic sensitivity and recognizing economic privilege. Um, and the, the implications for those that don't have economic privilege and how challenging things are. And then through my own experience, just my own day-to-day -day shopping experience as a student with limited income, uh, not having a vehicle to drive around in, uh, having to be relegated to shopping at the closest grocery store, the closest drugstore. And then you find that friend with the car who takes you around a little bit and shows you the different side of things. And you realize that these prices differ so dramatically in a city. Um, you wouldn't have known that unless you were actively moving around in it. So this has big implications. And then when I became a new parent, um, there's obviously the, all of the items that you need to buy, all the baby-related necessities. And what you realize is that, you know, one store you're, you're forced to purchase at, at a store. You don't know when you're going to get out again practically. And so you may buy a series of goods there, possibly in bulk, to save you time down the road. And I realized one shopping trip that I had spent an extra $18 on a product and I thought, okay, this is, this is gonna hurt me in the long term. Um, 
And I didn't know, I just don't know about the pricing at any other store. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to have a mechanism? Because the reality is, is that when we realize prices differ, we don't necessarily go home, grab our receipt, return the product and come back and repurchase at the new store. We simply don't. We just beat ourselves up and say, I wish I was smarter. I'll remember in the future and I'll make these smart shopping decisions. So putting those as a blend together, was really the impetus behind BetterCart. And then in talking with people before I began this venture about the realities of this issue and how we have, we have price comparisons for lots of different things. Our hotel stays, our car rentals, our electronics, but we don't have anything for the day-to-day products that can really hit someone hard economically. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and in markets back home, where we have a competitive insurance marketplace and a competitive mortgage marketplace, we've, we've got comparisons for literally everything. So um, you came from a position of you understood the need, the human need, and the frustration that we get when you're right, when we get those moments of, well, okay, I won't do it again, just this once. And how many times do we say, just this once? I mean, it's it's incredible. Um, so you create, you come to create better cut, but as I understand it, you don't come from a technical background. And so launching a product or even, even those early stages, that investigation into the modeling of what it is that you need to create. How did you go through that? And what did you do in terms of finding a technical partner or someone to work with or for you? It was a process because of being so outside of the technical world um, and not really having a sense of it at all. And so for the lead up after my own lived experience, the lead up to actually starting this venture was, was a while simply because I didn't know how to get started. And what I did was simply close my eyes a little bit, hoping that nobody else was going to be starting the better cart, you know? Um, But what happened was, is coming to, you know, pivotal moment in my life where I said, okay, I'm either going to do this or I'm not. And so for me, it was then placing that first call to to a person that I knew in my, peripherally in my network. And it was through family friends that um, I was connected with, with someone who had built his own company's startup. He'd been through YC um, and he was in uh, Victoria, BC. And I thought, this would be a great person to have that first coffee with to talk about this idea. And I think he got it right away. Uh, He recognized the importance of it and gave me a project overview of what we could do probably within the next week. And then I sat on that though for a few months, still thinking about it. Am I, am I, am I going to be doing this or am I not, you know? And so then finally um, saying, yes, I'm going to, and I came back to Saskatoon after a summer in Victoria swinging here. So I, you know, I joined West, I attended CoLabs, the community nights and started my foray into the tech world. Um, And then joined CoLaunch in uh, February of 2019. 
let's take it back just a step. Mm-hmm. You have a background in psychology,、mm-hmm. and this is where I'm going to get you to look at you. Okay. Many, oh, do I have to? <laughs> yes.、Uh, okay. Please of course, sit、yeah. on the please sit on the uh, uh, couch for me just here. That's right. <laughs> From the perspective of founders, as human beings, the the fear that comes to it is. Is this what's going to define me? Will it be a failure? What am I? What am I risking here? Is it financial? Is it reputational? Is it a good idea? Are, are what are the factors that come、uh, come up to you when you took that time? You've you've specifically said that there was a period of time that you sat on it. Was it relating to? It's not the right time, or maybe it won't work. What were the doubts? What were the fears? And how did you address that as a as a human being to then go, okay, breathe in, I'm ready to do this.、Mm-hmm. Well, it was a process, and it was it took me a few years to actually work up to the point where I could start putting those wheels in motion. Um, so that alone was massive to me, and then to decide this, I didn't go into it thinking that. I went into it thinking, knowing, at the moment anyway, and still to this day, that there, that we are in a space that is not overrun with, with、um, new things and innovation, and we, in this landscape, have. A spot, so that's important to me. So anything that I ever did at the university, it's always about carving out new terrain and being the first one there to win that space and to become that name in that space. And so when I when I, you know, environmentally looked at the landscape here. Still thinking. Okay, well, we we have this opportunity, and this space is open for us. So that was huge for me. It wasn't iterating on something that somebody else has already done.、Um, I didn't feel like I probably would have had time for that. You know, for that aspect of it to make something tweak here and make it a little bit better for a certain portion of a market. This was brand new、um, in a brand new space. So, so that was big for me.、Um, then really just. Throwing down, I would say, for lack of a better phrase,、um, laying the smack down,、uh, just really, just, just becoming galvanized to to do this, and 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 not focusing on that stat that you hear at the very beginning of these ventures that you know ninety percent of you will fail, you know ten percent will survive, you know I focus on you know in the Very quick read. We reworked, and that those statistics don't have to be your own statistics. You know that you can, you can find a way here. Now, critically, people at the beginning will say, "Well, what you're doing right now might not be what you end up doing." So I took that, and it doesn't didn't at the time. I was like, "What? All I want to do is this. This is exactly what I want to do." But we see ourselves moving and growing and expanding, and so that is. That is valuable to me, but I would say it's 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 taking a a very brave leap,、um, but then moving on from that, you know.、Um, and there's not to say that there aren't days when I when I wonder about 
you know, based on the investment, my own personal investment in this, am I, am I doing the right thing and will this pay off, you know? And those are huge questions. But then something happens and I'm swept right out of that. I'm into the mode and I carry on. And, you know, when the, that's, that's the most existential moments, but then as well, just in the day to day, if something's not going right, I learned just over this last year, give it 24 hours, 24 hours and it will pass. And what you were facing the day before is not your reality today. And the next day, your high could be so absolutely high that you're like, yes, okay, we're back and we're doing this. So I, I, try, to, I try to breathe and live through the, those hours and, um, and just, just continue to fight. And I would say fight. I don't usually use those terms, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a battle. I look at you and listen to your story and from what I've learned in just the last few moments, I see that there is someone in front of me, virtually granted, but someone in front of me who is willing to try something. And it's better to try than to not try. It's that classic thing about regrets, isn't it? That it you, you can't really, don't regret the things you've done you can you can deal with that but regret people regret the things that they don't do and as a part of that i was listening to sam walker's um, podcast earlier and she was saying but the brilliant thing about that is you still have time where so many people write off that opportunity or that idea that nugget and they never get to it and there's that that got to be that willingness to go I will give this a try. And yes, there are economics with this. Yes, there's going to be time. And there there might be some moments of doubt and fear and negativity. But that 24-hour rule of yours is brilliant. Um, I've seen a lot of people who get burnt out because they just go from negative situation to negative situation to negative situation without taking that step back and allowing allowing life to breathe. And if I think there's something over this pandemic period that has taught us it's take a step back and give yourself time to assess the reality of a situation rather than going into something so deeply emotionally um yes absolutely <laughs> so <laughs> i agree <laughs> so as as a part of that you have the idea you can see that there's a need um from the point of view of just good for society and, and good for equality and access and doing the right thing. You go down this path of getting advice on what your pathway could be and you enter WESC and CoLabs, CoLaunch, etc. Um, the mechanical side of it, when it comes to better cards, how do you how on earth do you get the data to be able to um, run the system and if it's secret IP don't tell me but it, it, how do you get that data sweet trade secrets no <laughs> <laughs> so we um, yeah I mean we're we're looking at the information that is in the public domain so the information that would be accessible to everyone if they were to go online at a given store and then Log, go online at another store, and so on. So what we're doing at BetterCart is we are amalgamating that pricing information, and we are igniting for the first time um, 
the, the comparison aspect of this. So we are in essence, moving these data um, from the online presence to an automated amalgamated um, comparative hub where people can in one fell swoop check across a variety of different stores for the grocery products that they need. So we are, and we have our ways of doing that obviously that are, are critical um, and deeply embedded in our system. And we continually keep up with that. Uh, that is a fight, a day-to-day -day type of thing because everything is so fast moving. And especially during COVID, people have had to, grocery stores have had to change their, their approach, the way they deliver information. And so we are, we are keeping time with them. Um, and then in this, in this hub, we have people being able to then, in turn, by virtue of seeing all of this information, save money. So we're heightening the transparency for people and then subsequently empowering them to make these smartest shopping decisions. Back home, uh, I, I think the last time that I got um, any form of flyer from a grocery store was... 1998 or 1999. I would like you to explain to me how in 2020, still to this day, I get thousands, probably thousands, maybe I'm exaggerating, but, but certainly hundreds of flyers each week, big pull-out newspaper size features, which I haven't got time to go through and, and go into recycling pretty much immediately. Why is that still a thing um, when, you know, in, in, in the UK, we have people in the 60s, 70s and 80s that haven't had to keep these things because, oh, we don't want to confuse older people or we don't want to take this away from older people. We haven't had it for 20-something years. Why is it still here? And is there psychologically or, or, or mentally a, a challenge to move people into the app or digital world away from these enormous pieces of recycling? That's a great question. And for flyers, they have, yes, you're right, they've been around forever. And that has been really the extent of the offering from grocery stores and grocery chains and corporations to the consumer, to the grocery shopper. That has been consistent now for decades. We also have coupons that have been in place. Those have not changed or gone anywhere. Um, the, the, the most progressive thing that we've seen as of you know, 2014, 2015 was the digitization of those flyers. And that being heralded as a monumental shift, and this is just you know, an uber amazing, you know, invention essentially to give people access to flyer based information on in the palm of their hand on their mobile phone. Now, when we are, you know, given what we're doing with better card, it's imperative that we change the narrative surrounding flyers, because this is what people have known for such a very long time. 
and they are, some people are very flyer based. So they assume that what a grocery store, the promotional information coming from a grocery store actually has the consumer's interests at heart and their very best interests at heart. But what we know now is that that's not necessarily the case. So for all of those people that love to look at digital flyers on their phone or those some that would pour over them Sunday morning, cup of coffee, whatever it may be, and many recycle for the better good, but um, nevertheless, it's really making sure that people understand what is in a flyer and checking to see if a flyer is really a deal because it's not often that we would say in other industries with other products that we would buy as consumers that we would say well thank you um, company X for giving us this information you're absolutely right you are the best and you do provide the lowest prices and the best quality so we're going with you and so I think what we can do now is is highlight how based because we are different in that we are providing a full catalog of items. So people can see a flyer-based product, but also check it on BetterCart to determine if it is actually a deal. And should they then venture out and buy X product, Y product, and, and, and see what, their, what the differences is. So we are a mechanism by which people can just check and balance at that point in time, as well because it's a competitive racket and the flyer, you know, grocery chain versus grocery chain, that they're pulling back on the information they're providing in flyers. So if you happen to look down at the flyers lately, doubtful, but perhaps, um, you know, you'll notice that there are no regular prices being provided anymore. So people then are just, are naively trusting that this is actually good for them. And some will even, you know, two for one and not even a sale price. And we can't be, you know, led like that. And a lot of people that might buy into the flyer notion um, could really benefit from using something like better cards. So it's not to, it's not to um, push aside a flyer approach, but to supplement and complement the experience for the for the user by looking at something like BetterCart and making that smartest shopping list to purchase goods. So there's an element that I can take from this that it, this aids transparency aside from anything else. Um, again, only from my experience of of where I've lived and what I can what I've experienced is um, that the authorities back home have, let's say, challenged retailers from time to time because what they do is I think it's a 16 week sweep and basically something appears as a special offer uh, what happens is just before the special offer they increase the price for a couple of weeks and then suddenly the price on the flyer is dropped or the offer that's in store is dropped compared to that temporary higher price where the truth is that before that temporary price rise it was lower before, or as we're finding, um, products are shrinking in size and they will forever shrink in size. So what the, what became the standard in the UK was, uh, for liquids, uh, everything had to be, um, per hundred milliliters and for solids, whatever it was had to be based on price per hundred grams. So you could see 
item to item within store in fairness what was actually the better offer and sometimes we found the own brand was more expensive sometimes the premium brand was more expensive but then became miraculously cheaper depending on stocks etc so the transparency bit i completely and totally appreciate um you're right when you look at this sector as as an organization i've never been to buy a photocopier one to the next and suddenly there's a flyer saying hey this is a an amazing deal don't go over there buy it from us because of you know it just doesn't happen i'm very excited about how you've worked with your what's in stock functionality um a lot of innovation as we've spoken about previously on startupville has come from crises has come from times of extreme need or recession etc it seems to me that this functionality that you've added seems to be very well timed for a for a for a covid society where we really don't want to be out for too long we don't want to expose ourselves we really need to take care of ourselves and each other based on those more vulnerable in our society was this something that you were already developing and it was just hastened by covid19 or was it right this is something we need now let's get on with it it was the latter and so we, just like everybody else, were thrown for a loop. You know, when this when this occurred, we were busy working on our mobile ready version, our mobile friendly version of Better Card, and and moving that along. And all was well and good with that. And then we started looking at what was happening and this massive impact and effect in the grocery shopping industry, and and taking a look at at how people were faring. And this was something that we'd never seen. We'd never seen um, incredible wait times. We'd never seen, um, you know, hoarding. We'd never seen problems with stock levels. Uh, we we just never seen, you know, and then the uptick in e-commerce and delivery and the concern about that. So this was, so we waited a little bit just to see what was going on because, you know, as things were intensifying in Canada, we needed to get the lay of the land a bit to understand were there certain pockets, was this across the country and so on. And so we did end up deciding that, yes, we've had enough of this. We also hear what's going on in the country and that this is a massive pain point for people. And we thought we could alleviate some of this pain anyway, by, as you mentioned, you know, at a time when people are encouraged or mandated to stay home. So nobody wants to make unnecessary trips to the grocery store. So we looked at it as though we have this infrastructure built. We are across the country, but we are highly localized service as well. So people could simply plug in their postal code. We had the structure to, and the, you know, the insight to be able to look at this as though we could, we could structure this for everybody's city and postal code and radius and so on um, and get that right. We just had to build this sub app. So we did, we built it in 10 days. Um, very excited when we finished it. It was amazing. I called in some resort reserves, you know, um, some backup uh, people. We threw down once again and worked really hard. Um, there was there, you know, talking with a mentor of mine, he was saying, you know, Melanie, lots of people decide they're going to build things, you know, but the timing, they don't necessarily get it done, but we did. And it's, it's driven thousands of people to our site and, 
the important thing is really that, that we were able to help people to prevent them from, you know, just to lessen their exposure, as you mentioned, they're vulnerable individuals. And we also had a lot of people shopping for other people. So their time, their own, their own risk that they were putting themselves at in that the heat of those moments that, you know, this was a site that really helped them. And some of the stories coming out of it are quite touching along those lines. So, and we were able to save people some money at the same time. So that was really good. So win, 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 win. If there's ever a period of time where people are willing to take that hit because it's get out there, get that shopping done, get back, decontaminate everything just in case and, and get on with your life uh, in lockdown, this is, this is going to be the period of time when you know, because of fear and, and the hoarding and the panic buying, even if you didn't get involved in that, there's there's elements to say, yeah, I could have got it elsewhere, but I'm just going I'm just going to one place because we're humans. Um I'm I'm really interested in so many elements of your product, the service I suppose that it also comes down to your investment in time, money, everyone that's contributed to this. There's got to be an economic model to this. What is the sustainability of whatever you can speak to? Um, subscription model, where ultimately is the revenue? Thanks for asking, Dan. That's really great. Uh, most important, right? You know, at the end of the, you know, the end of the day, it's a business when you're when you have when you're generating revenue. So, we are actively building our user uh, group, and we're we've driven, you know, many many people, new people to BetterCart, and our job is to engage and retain them this next while. So, growing that user base. Uh, on the basis of that, looking at it will be a freemium type of model there where we are providing a basic uh, resource for people, mechanism to save money available to everyone. And then looking at a tiered service there where we would be unlocking, uh, developing but unlocking the features that we have in mind that would be valuable to people who would be more inclined and interested in paying for a little bit more of a curated experience. So that could mean, um, you know, where they their grocery list, their recipes are sourced, priced, etc., with any concerns that they may have, um, whether it's gluten free, organic, locally sourced, etc. So it would become something along those lines. And people with special dietary needs, um, we could also look at, at in bringing in, this is sort of our thinking around dietary um, and health related meal planning as well. So on a tiered structure um, and eventually tying in with the delivery service. So one that either exists independently or one that is directly integrated by the grocery chains themselves, their in-house delivery service. So that would be the scope there. And on that side, that consumer facing side, we're looking at having it supported through advertising dollars. So we have a variety of brands that, I mean, we've got millions of products and we're, we're moving, you know, 20 to 25 million a week uh, through this platform and 400,000 unique ones every, every single day, essentially. So it's a massive undertaking, but in there are brands that want to get their products 
out in front of, of people and get eyes on them. So there's very limited, believe it or not, opportunity for many brands to do that. And they range from smaller scale, local brands, right on through to the big guns. So we're looking at how do we make, create uh, partnerships with these brands and how do we get them on our site so that they're benefiting from it and we are in turn economically through the monetization of this space. There's a lot of space on BetterCart to monetize, so we look at that. Then we're looking at, we'll be a, we'll be a, a data analytics and data insights um, on the other side, the B2B side. So we would look at pricing information, historical, current, predictive, all of those opportunities there, as well as um, you know any interesting insights that we may glean from um, behavioral analysis. Which is, and, and if people don't know, that is a significant proportion of that B2C, of that grocery sector, is understanding the behavior of consumers. Um, I, I followed a study which was um, purely about the layout of a store, the physical layout of the store. And if you think that things are placed just because they're convenient to the consumer, think again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the the grocery sector, uh, when it comes to innovation, it's been fairly slow in North America. Um but when we look at other parts of the world, whether it's, I mean, and, and I, you know, there is innovation here, but it's, it's not scaled particularly because of the, the big guys just having such a dominant position. This is where independence from them and third party products such as yours have such a powerful place to play. Um, uh, if we, uh, look at another organization, Acada, you were talking about um, delivery. So back in the UK, no one was delivering. And then an organization called Waitrose, part of a John Lewis partnership, um, were convinced into doing deliveries with a third-party delivery firm called Acado. And as it happens, they started as that. They were purely delivering, and then they changed to a firm called Morrison's. Through time, they realized that there were actually opportunities in the way that the products were picked and the picking technology for delivery. So they invested time and money in that side whilst it was being funded by purely doing the delivery. So this is where innovation like yours comes from. It's looking at something going, oh, let's look at it from a different point of view. So Ocado became went from a delivery firm putting people in vans and bringing groceries to people's houses to being a technology firm where they've now sold uh, the rights to this technology and then licensing deals and working with firms. I can't remember. Someone's just picked it up in North America in, or in Canada as, as a partnership. Can't remember which retailer. I think, yeah. There you go. Um, and it's interesting that, again, the innovation isn't coming from the brands themselves, but from the outside and the fact that they're buying into this and getting into that journey uh, makes sense uh, from your point of view and from what you see you've got your level of disruption or innovation or what i think is is um, uh, being con truly consumer focused uh, what other piece of innovation where you've looked at something and gone 
wow, that's a great idea. It's not us, but that's a great idea. Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I can certainly see how where we're at with Better Card and just the whole notion of groceries, uh, starting at that fundamental piece. Um, I could certainly see us uh, expanding uh, into other other types of goods uh, that we have on the go. Um, and yeah, I, I do see us as, as sort of carving out that, that middle space, um, you know, where you have lists and flyers on the one hand, delivery on the other, um, and occupying those roles. Um, I think there's a lot of innovation to be um, developed and, and implemented in this space, uh, for sure. Um, I think that, I mean, clearly more focus on, on machine learning would be great for a group like us, but also more generally speaking for the shopper. Um, and that could be applied, that's applied to so many different, different, um, sectors and, and innovation strategies. Um, so yeah, I mean, I see us as developing, and I've been so better cart focused. I haven't really popped up to to look at the rest. Well, what else is going on in the rest of the world? But but um, yeah, I mean, I I think there's there's room for a lot of innovation. You know, it's exciting in that in those regards, and I think that we something that we're doing here can certainly be expanded because there's a big gap between what we're doing and that whole notion of fast moving consumer goods. It's not even an article of clothes. Like it's, it's something that changes daily, hourly, what, you know, and how to, how to make that work, but that's the reality of our lives. And so how do we capitalize on that and grow that? And, and so that we better, better understand and can make inroads there to better people's lives, you know, ultimately. And just before we wrap up, I got one question that I'm, I'm thinking off the back of what you've just said about machine learning. We obviously see Amazon in that retail space. We obviously see uh, other tech firms that are yeah. to somewhat in a, a retail space, maybe groceries, but Amazon certainly has, has put both feet in and jumped. But also you look at the Walmarts and their partnerships that they've struck with tech firms to push forwards in what they're doing. Yeah. Ultimately, the point of a corporation is to make money and benefit shareholders. The way you do that is to offer what the consumer needs at that time. Do you think that there are threats to how you operate and others operate in this space? And maybe smaller grocery stores were competing against corporations with billions of revenue when it comes to the technology that they may start to apply or bring in to really assert their market dominance? Yes, I think that there is a, there's so much happening right now, courtesy of, of a, a, you know, COVID and, and moving into the post pandemic era. And what will that look like? So there's incredible onus on entrepreneurs and CEOs of companies to, to be uh, to anticipate to identify strategies and to you know be able to actualize and implement innovation in a way that makes sense for the consumer and from a revenue perspective 
um, you know, with whatever the future lays ahead, but we've been privy to this pandemic scene. So that's, you know, we, we have to, um, I'm deeply conscious of this. So that would be some of my late nights, not, you know, being concerned, limited sleep type of thing, because we do need to hold on to this space. And we are, what, what we, how we really differentiate is that when somebody shops within a single store, they're locked in and they're locked into that specific delivery option. And something like better cart at allows that flexibility and i think when we are so we we have that going for us for sure and we are the and and focusing in on the the pricing information that people can access readily and and win on um but it's imperative that we don't like i could see as partnering clearly with these grocery chains because we are providing that middle ground <laughs> for people before, you know, when they're going to the grocery store or when they're ordering from home, it would be great to get, you know, give them the better cart delivered. You know, that would be really, really wise. And I think that's where we're going to be going in terms of looking at our innovation. We're engaged actively with machine learning right now, enhancing our, our product matching, our search capacities, um, and learning about these routes that people are taking, especially in a post-pandemic era. Um, what is that going to look like? We know, though, that people still love brick and mortar. So that's critical too. And so we, we have, you know, 89% of the people still want to actually go to the grocery store, but 7% are happy shopping online. So that's interesting. So we want to just figure it out right now in terms of how we're going to balance this, but maintain our space and not get swallowed up. Melanie, I truly could speak to you all day. And for anyone that doubts the benefit of a comparison facility uh and being able to see the marketplace just just look at uk websites like compare the market where it compares insurance and mortgages and the such like as i said and you will just see that the opportunity for for a greater level of transparency and being able to see like for like side by side makes a difference and what I found most fascinating when I worked with them on a campaign was that the retailers, the stores liked it as well, because where they didn't necessarily get a customer before, they had a greater opportunity to secure a customer and greater loyalty. But it was through this third party route because they could side by side be more transparent. And was it better for the consumer? Yes. Was it better for the marketplace? Yes, because ultimately the capitalization went up coincidence i'll leave that to uh, to economists to uh to uh to pour over but melanie morrison um thank you so much if people want to find out more information about you and bettercart where could they do that www.bettercart.ca um, we are on facebook bettercart we are on twitter at bettercart one yes one <laughs> and um we are on instagram bettercart.ca Startup Fill is brought to you by Innovation Place, helping grow the tech sector in Saskatchewan, Canada, 
and is produced in partnership with Martin Charlton Communications at WeTellYourStories.ca. The show is produced by me, Mike Wolsfeld, and our host, Dan Gold. Our theme music is from GG Riggs and Reactor Productions. Learn more about us and our guests at innovationplace.com slash startupville and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at StartupVillePod. See you next time on Startupville.